0: Thursday, August thirty-first. Welcome to MarketFoolery. I'm Chris Hale, joining me in studio today for Motley Fool Funds, Bill Barker. Last day of summer? No, isn't it? No, it kind of feels like it. <laughs> it's
1: the last day of August. It is the last day of August. I haven't I, slept much recently. Yeah, no, last day of summer is uh, Labor Day. All right, well, or September twenty-first. Either one is is a viable answer, but not the last day of August. All right, but today actually is the last. I day of mean, up in Maine, it probably was uh, several weeks ago. It really was.
0: Summer. We're expecting snow soon in Maine. Uh, we've we've still got earnings, if you can believe it. Although, based on what's happening with a couple of the companies we're going to talk about, I don't know that earnings is necessarily the way to describe what's happening. We got to start though with Wells Fargo, which uh, s- somehow managed to pour dumpster, uh, gasoline on the dumpster fire that it actually is with. Uh, with the news that the number of fake accounts that Wells Fargo employees created over the period of roughly 2009 to late 2016 is now up to three and a half million, so the initial reports of well, we think it we think it's only one to two million fake accounts. Ah, we're gonna we're gonna bump that up to three and a half million, and I. I am sort of stuck with the same feeling or or perhaps a more intense version of the feeling that I had when this story first broke which is why should anyone believe that this is an institution that can be trusted
1: so you say that they've poured gasoline on the dumpster fire but the market is looking at this as meh whatever we are we already knew the broad Outlines of the story here. So they're three and a half instead of 2.1 million, whatever it is. And uh, we already knew that they had had problems. Is this because this is the result of doing a more thorough, uh, and none of this is a defense of them, but just why is the market not reacting very much to this? And it's not because shareholders don't care. It's, it's, this doesn't really change what we already knew, which is this happened over a period of many years, and actions have been taken. And whether you think the actions that have been taken since then are enough to want to buy the stock or, or put your money in Wells Fargo is another story. What we found out is this goes back even further in time to sort of back to 2009, perhaps. I don't know, maybe if they research further and, and draw a line even further back, they'll find even more. And Say they find out they were doing things like this in two thousand and six and seven and eight when they haven't looked into those years yet. Does that change your opinion about the company? It doesn't really change the story at this point. You've you've made your decision about whether to keep doing business with them, um, and th- there's not any significantly more legal liability probably uh, than what there already had been.
0: Does this in any way? And the
1: answer could be no. But does
0: in any way does this story make you question? Warren Buffett's judgment, and I'm speaking specifically of his judgment of the leadership of Wells Fargo, because for a very long time, Buffett's rationale for investing in Wells Fargo was essentially that these are the best operators, these are the most transparent. I trust these people more than I trust anyone else. As much as I may respect and I don't know that he said this specifically, but I'm just I'm just gonna pick a name. As much as I may respect Jamie Dimon. I don't get as much transparency out of JPMorgan Chase as I do out of Wells Fargo." So, does this make you think twice at all about Buffett?
1: No, not really. I mean, he's he's not flawless, and he would admit that, and it's a good reminder that he isn't. In sort of the big picture, Wells Fargo was one of the companies, one of the banks that was more in position in 2008-2009 to help those that had made even bigger mistakes. That is, uh, they had not uh, wallowed in the credit default swap business uh, to the same extent or at all um, in the way that imperiled the banking system through the other banks. So, they get points for having sidestepped some of the biggest problems and some of the things that that were uh, harmful to the entire global financial system, and they were there with deep enough pockets to buy Wachovia and and help out at a time uh, when help was needed, and I don't know if you forget about all those points that they they built up and that were part of the decision that uh, Buffett was making about who do I trust, whose judgment do I trust? Uh, yeah, three and a half million accounts. Many of these accounts were just pointless. You know, they they didn't cost people money. Again, not a defense, but in in trying to evaluate how. How big their crimes, and uh, let's call them crimes, uh, because this was fraud. Uh, there was a lot of little nickel and diming stuff uh, for which heads should roll. Uh, but maybe, in maybe he is looking at at the at the highest levels what the CEO knew uh, and and should have known was was more high level stuff, and this was you know something that he missed and for which uh, he. You know, suffers uh, his reputation, but all in all, today the the market's looking at this is like, we already knew this. If the market is
0: uh, not punishing Wells Fargo, it certainly is punishing Campbell Soup. Uh, fourth quarter results came in lower than expected. Their guidance for the full fiscal year came in lower than anyone I think was expecting, and the stock is hitting a two year low this morning and. I mean, it's soup. Who's not? <laughs> who's not buying soup? And I, I, apparently, the answer
1: is many, many people are not buying soup. Right. Uh, the whole uh, advertising campaign of soup is good food. Is that still around? Because I'm not sure that Campbell's is considered on the right side of the equation of that anymore, given the amount of salt in the soup and the processed nature and all that. And they've made inroads into buying fresher uh, lines and more organic products um, and you know the, the sales from the core soup Campbell's soup condensed soup business is going away slowly but but you know it, it's not changing and so over the last 12 months they've sold uh, 7.9 billion go back 10 years 7.8 So Oof. this is this is a an operation which is, at the top line, uh, been basically going nowhere for a decade. Now, they're still selling soup, they're making profits, they're paying a dividend, they're buying back some shares. So, while the top line is treading water, shareholders have pocketed some money through dividends and through um, appreciated share price due almost entirely to the, the repurchase of shares. I don't know. They've got a whole lot of different options in front of them, buying different brands, uh, continuing to try to get more relevant uh, to a more health-conscious consumer. But you know, their core business is is not in that realm. Let's move on to Lands End then, um, and this is
0: uh, so Lands End apparel retailer second quarter results uh, came out and. Uh, I'm heartened by this one particular story that I'm going to share because it's a nice reminder that individual investors, actual human beings, do have some advantages over computers when it comes to the endeavor of investing. And so I'll just read this is a headline on MarketWatch. And I like MarketWatch a lot. Uh, and I, I frequently go to MarketWatch when I'm doing research. So the headline. This is a story that was posted about an hour before the market opened today, and the headline is: Lands End shares soar after sales beat estimates. First line of the story: Shares of Lands End soared more than 19% in Thursday pre-market trading after it reported second-quarter sales that beat estimates. So that's your, that's basically your supercomputers that are just looking at the basic numbers of the earnings report and just executing. And sending the stock 19% higher before the market opens. The market is now open as we're taping this, and shares of Land's End are down 8%. So that's a 27%
1: swing. Yeah, the article.
0: Score one for the human race is what I'm saying here.
1: Well, so there isn't anything factually wrong about the first line of that article. It's what investors out there should take note of is the use of pre market. Data for something as thinly traded and as small, you know, when when Apple is up three percent or down three percent pre-market, something like that. There's enough trading in it that you can take a little bit more from that data. It's still pre-market. It's still a much thinner market than once the bell has rung and everybody is trading in the millions of shares. Uh, but Lands End is a four hundred million dollar market cap company. It's it's at this point tiny, thanks to being aligned with Sears. It was higher before
0: the market opened.
1: <laughs> it was. And and the, the flaw was, people yeah, looking at the raw numbers before hearing the conference call. The conference call interceded between that pre-market report and the market's open, and the, I haven't been able to listen to the uh, conference call, but it contained less rosy information. Right.
0: And if I'm the Head of Investor Relations or whoever put together that press release uh, on the earnings results, I'm absolutely going with the headline of, hey, everybody, for the first time in three years, our sales rose. That's a great headline if you're land and you're happy to finally tell that story. But as you said, once you actually get into the details and once you listen to what management has to say, it becomes far less rosy.
1: Yeah, margins were down uh, about uh, 200 basis points, about 2%. So, although uh, net revenue was up, sales were less profitable. Uh, Same-store sales increased almost 4% year-over-year, but that is a function of the same-store sales being the stores within um, Sears, largely. And there are fewer and fewer Sears out there,
0: and fewer and fewer people going to fewer and fewer Sears.
1: And as a consequence, uh, although each store, which is still open today for Lands End, uh, gets a little bit more in sales, there are fewer and fewer stores, and that will continue. And uh, you know, as as much as Lands End is a, a crucial supplier to the lumber sexual market, and we have. <laughs> Talked about the we have the fad of lumbersexual dressing out there. Um, do you a, have any of
0: that in your wardrobe? Is it a fad? I don't think I don't know. I look
1: it up on the internet. Yeah, okay. fad. I don't know. I mean, it's, it was like two years ago. So the fad may the fad is over. Okay, so all of that uh, Lands the, End, Eddie Bauer, or in your case, LL Bean clothing that you bought to join the trend. And it's, let's distinguish a trend from a fad. It it wasn't a trend; it was a fad.
0: Well, in the case of LL Bean, I mean, that, that's a company whose apparel and, and clothing is just timeless. Like, don't lump LL Bean in with Lands' End and Eddie Bauer. Why not? Everybody else does. No, no, they don't. No, LL Bean's iconic. You know, the store is open twenty four hours, three sixty five. You can go there to Freeport, Maine. There are no locks on the doors because the store literally never closes. Yeah. <laughs> um, do they back to Lands End for a second? Uh, was it? Bay, I think it was Bebe Bay Bay stores that that came out in the last six to nine months or so and announced we're closing every physical store we have. We're just going to be online it seems like land. that's the move here for Land's End, isn't it? If, if they're not exploring that, it really seems like that's the move they need to explore. Because, unlike L.L. Bean, they're not, they're not drawing people. Tourists aren't getting off the bus to go to the Land's End anchor store, wherever that is.
1: Well, the market and Sears are doing that for them. So, their direct sales were $260 million uh, for the quarter, up 5.5%. The retail segment, those are the stores. Uh, forty about forty million down seven percent. So those two lines are going in different directions now. Fortunately for Lands End, the larger chunk is going up or did for at least this quarter. Uh, so the you know the stores are becoming less and less and less relevant. At I don't know about um, you know one sixth one seventh the size of of the the direct and so that's that's online and even some catalog i think
0: yeah no they're they're very much about the catalogs
1: yeah uh that's uh you pick up pick one up there probably probably a few pictures of the lumber sexual out there <laughs> which is a less offensive term than i think some people might be expecting
0: yeah no i don't think that's no i don't think that's an offensive term i hope not Unless actually someone is a lumberjack for a living and they they don't like that, I could see that maybe possibly taking offense.
1: Well, I think yeah, an actual lumberjack, I'm sure, rightfully looks down on um, you know people like you uh, dressing up like one.
0: (laughs) I think uh, probably more so at you talking about this. I (laughs) think lumberjack is the mascot at the University of Northern Arizona, which is in Flagstaff. You know
1: who could pull off the look? Who's that? Austin. Austin Morgan our man behind the glass or Dan Boyd either, one, either of the, one of them would pull it off a lot better than you or I they're bigger they're big
0: dudes they got the facial hair they swing axes they swing axes they certainly look like this their upper body strength looks like as opposed to you swinging you know a court tennis racket
1: and me swinging
0: nothing <laughs> so
1: you fence a little bit don't you
0: Um, I dabbled in a little fencing. It was interesting.
1: That was that was a complete guess. how did I turn out to be right about that? I
0: don't know. No, I took a fencing class one time. It was fun. Yeah, it was fun. Kill anybody? uh, uh, No, it wasn't that kind of class. (laughs) It wasn't that kind of class. Although, have I told you
1: my idea? How much like Game of Thrones was it? Oh, not even remotely. Shoot, that's what that's what the fencing classes need to advertise themselves. They do. Have I told you my
0: idea to make fencing the most watched Olympic sport? Uh. Lightsabers? Here it it is. Not lightsabers, although that would do the trick. No, here it is. Uh, So fencing, and I think you're you're right actually to tie in Game of Thrones. I mean, it's it's more between The Princess Bride and Game of Thrones. Who doesn't love
1: sword fighting? Well, that's that's all lightsaber is. I mean, there you go, and
0: lightsaber battles. So unfortunately, with Olympic fencing, um, it's a lot of quick action and then it stops. And so it's basically they they face each other in a straight line. My idea. For Olympic fencing is that's fine for the opening rounds. Once we get to the medal rounds, once we get to we, we whittle it down to maybe eight or so fencers, we make it like Game of Thrones or The Princess Bride, and it's just open terrain. And the further you get in the medal round, the the tougher the terrain is. And there's no stopping in action. Like, look, whoever gets to however many, I think it's 15 points or 21. Whoever gets there first. Fine, and if you knock someone over and they're just they've dropped their their weapon and you can just hit them a bunch of times, so be it.
1: Yeah, little known little known fact: uh, a lot more of the competitors in Olympic fencing uh, survive than you would think. Oh, than Game of Thrones. Yeah. Or oh, if, if you've been watching Game of Thrones, you would just assume that these fights are to the death in the Olympics.
0: Oh, I'm not suggesting that. I'm not su- no, no. I'm just suggesting let's change up the terrain. Wait, you you thought I was suggesting here's what will get people to watch Olympic fencing? No, no. Include I'm, a body count? No,
1: no. I'm educating people that oh. that doesn't, when you go out and you're like, oh, I'm going to get Olympic tickets, you know, the next Olympics, I'll get the fencing because that's got to be awesome. I'm just saying. If, yeah. if you're that kind of person that wants to see fights to the death, Stick to watching Game of Thrones. Yeah, no. Don't go to the Olympics. Yeah.
0: Well, the International Olympic Committee we Learn stuff by listening to the podcast. Yeah, absolutely. International Olympic Committee still not taking our advice, and we're trying to help them. I think advice number one, maybe cut down on the corruption. Oh. And, then, <laughs> and then point number two, here's how you can improve the, the audience for fencing. Wells Fargo might do well to pay attention to yeah, that too. Exactly. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at MarketFoolery, is our handle. Um, uh, from SR Scarborough, who tweeted, No podcast since Monday. Is my iPhone broken? Love the shows. Hope all is well. By the way, my 12 year old loves the teen investing book. Uh, thank you for that. Uh, I don't know if your iPhone is broken. Um, I. I can't I can't answer that, but I can tell you there's a
1: store that will help you out with that.
0: Oh yeah, they're happy to help you out with that. But uh, we yeah took a couple of days off because uh, it's the end of August, and um, uh, but we're 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 back in action uh, next week. Of course, we'll be off for Labor Day. The market is closed, so we'll be off, but we'll be back Tuesday. Um, we're we're picking up on the industry focused theme week that they did recently on on mistakes that they made. So we're going to be doing that next week of just sort of mistakes we made when it came to investing. Um, also, I'm pre-taping an episode because I'm heading up to New York City for the the podcast upfronts.
1: Yeah, that's exciting. Uh, it should be you're really interesting. B- like more of a big shot all the time. Every time I come back up here, uh, I find out you're starring roles in these national conferences.
0: Uh, I, I think you're
1: you're grossly overestimating the starring role. How part. many autographs did you sign at the last one? None. None. People are too afraid to come up to no. you even. <laughs> Devoted listeners, he'll give you an autograph. Uh, He's not that kind. He's not a diva.
0: Exactly. Uh, uh, Two two more. (laughs) Two more housekeeping notes. Uh, This weekend, bonus episode of Industry Focus. This weekend, and uh, Austin Morgan knows all about this because he's the man, but he's doing double duty lately for us on Market Foolery. But he produces Industry Focus, and uh, they taped a, a great episode with all five hosts in the studio at one time. They're doing a preview of what's coming up this fall in their different industries and brand new host on Industry Focus. Uh, so they introduce her as well. Uh, And last, but not least, to go back to the tweet from SR Scarborough, uh, that's wonderful that your 12-year-old loves The uh, The Motley Fool Teen Investing Book. Um, And it gives me uh, a way to mention that the very first Motley Fool investment uh, investment book was, of course, The Motley Fool Investment Guide, written by David and Tom Gardner over 20 years ago. And next Tuesday, the brand-new edition comes out uh, so you can learn more. Just go to book.fool.com. That's book.fool.com for more details. There's a, a great video with David and Tom Gardner talking about um, uh, their approach to investing. And um, I don't know if that, I mean, you and I have been at this company for so long. I don't know if that was your first introduction to the company, but I know for a lot of people, that book that David and Tom Gardner wrote, that was their first Introduction of the Motley Fool because this was at a point in time. This was 1996 when it first came out, so Fool.com didn't even exist. the The Motley Fool was online on America Online, and it was a very popular forum there. But for the many people who just didn't have internet access, didn't have America Online as a service, their first introduction was that book.
1: Uh, A couple quick anecdotes. Uh, The first time I met, or maybe the first time I met. Tom and David was at uh, a reading for I think their second book. You have more than you th- you have think more of. than you think. Yeah. Uh, so I, that was in Valley Forge, Pennsylvania, or King of Prussia, and uh, back when there was such a thing as borders. I think it was in one of those. Absolutely. It was a long time ago. Uh, and another thing, my first assignment back before I was helping to manage a couple billion dollars, which we do at Molyfill Asset Management. Uh, I was doing some writing uh, originally for the company and one of the first things that I did was to do a page a day calendar I remember that. which uh, a which you know went along with the book do you still have one of those somewhere you know it's somewhere it's in a box somewhere, somewhere. in bar you can find them on eBay they're incredibly valuable really are there, no. uh, are there still people
0: like selling those on
1: eBay I don't know I last 10 years ago last time I googled it or something I think I, I might have been able to find one they're uh, yeah, I mean, I mean they're still they're still in the remainder bin, I think. At border page a day calendar for like <laughs> 1999 or 2000, whatever year it was, it becomes relevant like every seventh year.
0: Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah So
1: does. find one,
0: find it and hold on mm-hmm. to it. It's a collector's item. Book uh, You can find out all of the details. And uh, for those who have already pre-ordered the book, um, uh, it comes out next week. Uh, so, check it out. Bill Barker, Motley Fool Funds. Thanks so much for being here. thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So, don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Forward. This show is mixed by Austin Morgan. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you on Tuesday.